This week's been quite the week, Shauna. There's been a lot of things happening in the news and in the world, um, not least, obviously, the Omicron virus um, taking hold. But I wanted to talk about the Supreme Court briefly, because obviously, uh, many of you know that they heard arguments this past week on the Mississippi law that um, prohibits Uh, pregnant people from getting abortions past 15 weeks. And so one of the central Mm. themes here is is about choice, is about the choice of a pregnant person to terminate their pregnancy. And so Mm. I was thinking about choice, right? Like in the choices Mm -hmm. we're presented with and, you know, decisions that we make. And I started to think Mm -hmm. about that in the context of endurance sports. And then specifically when we think about diversity, equity, and inclusion. And I was curious um, mm-hmm. What comes up for you when I when I talk about choice in that context? Yeah, yeah. You know, I think it's a great question to kind of bat around because for me, I'm I'm a very sold out person when it comes to self determination and taking the bull by the horns. I guess some people would say, and you know, taking control of a situation. And at the same time, I'm also aware that depending on your station in life, depending on how you were born, depending on what identity groups you carry, that taking things by the the horns can be quite challenging. Um, And so choice, yes. How many choices do we have? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Not quite sure. Um, But I think it's a great uh, question to kind of think through. How do people manage choice and what forces them to make a choice or what leeway do they have with that? So it's, it's a big question. We're not going to have any answers, but I think it's a big question we need to think through. I'm Dr. Shauna Payne-Gold and I go by she, her, her pronouns. And I'm Dr. Lisa Ingefield and I go by she, her, hers. Welcome to Unfazed, a podcast to disrupt your normal and challenge your brain to go the distance. So, I mean, I think athletes um, are presented with a lot of different choices, right? And I, you and I mm-hmm. have touched on this a number of times related to why certain sports are predominantly white, predominantly male, and how the narrative often um, kind of pushes back against any systemic racism or sexism and lands mm-hmm. more squarely on the shoulders of the individual and the choices that they're making, right? Well, they're just not mm-hmm. interested or they're just not good at it. And it's, um, you know, pushes our attention away from some of these long-standing exclusions. And mm-hmm. choice is so complicated. And I think it's such an easy uh, way for systems or people in power to avoid grappling with some of these larger um, discriminatory processes that are at play, right? And you mentioned mm-hmm. self-determination before the break. And I think that that's a fundamental um philosophy that exists within the United States. And we've talked about the pull yourself up by your bootstraps straps myth and what we both think about that. Um, and so I guess I would say that if we think about choice in the context of, of sport, in the context of health and wellness, um, it's factually true, right? I guess we do all have choices at one point or another, and we mm-hmm. are making decisions here, there and everywhere. But I think that might be the wrong place to start or perhaps the wrong question to ask. What do you think? Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, I do. I think we're, you know, starting in the wrong place when it comes to this, because, you know, my, I have a big uh, soapbox when it comes to self-determination mm-hmm. and even some of the language that's positioned around that 
a whole mantra of just pull yourself up by your bootstraps and and even the uh, the book itself grit and how that's determined. Um, when I sat down and had a conversation about the book Grit that talks quite a bit about self-determination and some of the characteristics of those that have uh, a higher level of self-determination, when I had that conversation with mostly white folks, white women, white men, I had a very different conversation than I did at a table with women of color and people of color. Just had a completely different conversation. And so, you know, to me, I'm thinking, Yes, I'm a big fan of self-determination across identity groups. And I think the context determines what self-determination looks like, because I feel that a white male has a identity and a context where they may have many more choices than a white woman will have, than a woman of color will have, than a man of color will have. And so that's not to say that there aren't choices, but I do feel that there is something to be said about how those choices are fewer and possibly more difficult because of identity groups, Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. even with that self-determination that I think every human being has, right? So that's what makes it so hard for me to kind of think through this because I'm thinking to myself, of course, a white male would have lots of self-determination as far as what they decide they want to do choices to choices to choices. But, you know, when I'm thinking about the very same person, I'm like, look at how many barriers there are to choices or those choices are taken off the table completely because of their identity groups. So mm-hmm, mm-hmm. that's what makes this complex for me. Um, yeah. how, how are you feeling about it, Lisa? Well, I do think it's ethical, right? I do think that there's an ethical kind of philosophical piece to this yeah. choice. And I also think this yep. um, uh, kind of mm, position, I guess, that you know, everyone has choices also implicitly assumes that everyone has good choices, right? Like that the choice that having a choice is inherently good in some way. Mm -hmm. You know, that's just, I think that's just erroneous, right? Because sometimes you have shitty choice A and shitty choice B, right? And sure, you're making a decision and you have to choose something or you're in a, right? Right. Neither of those outcomes are particularly good. So you're just trying to choose the one that is less shitty. And that's like not a great place to be. Um, And I I don't think that that and that kind of piece enters mainstream narrative. You know, I'm thinking about um, Mm -hmm. Shikori uh, Richardson, right? Yes. And um, she made a choice to smoke marijuana. Um, in light mm-hmm. of the grief that she was experiencing. And so mm-hmm. there's, you know, all the pundits come out, well, she just couldn't have made that choice or that was her choice and she needs to live with mm-hmm. the consequence. And, and she did live with the consequence and she had a lot of humility around it, right? And she acknowledged that. But right. the choice right. that she right. made there was also not made in a vacuum, right? There were these other competing contexts and, mm-hmm. you know, grief affects each of us. Grief, stress, pain, um, yes. affects each yes. of us yes. differently. And I just, I feel like, you know, it's inappropriate or problematic for people to pass judgment on, on her mm. or on other athletes or folks who don't mm-hmm. work out, you know, who, you know, the make it saying, okay, you're lazy because you don't work out. You could go outside. You could go for a walk. You could go for a run, right? You're just Mm. making a choice not to, right? Mm -hmm. Super Mm -hmm. um, judgmental and a complete lack of understanding of the context. So, Mm -hmm. you Mm -hmm. know, I mean, how, like as a woman, I make choices about whether to run or not. 
um, yes. based on my perceived um, sense of safety running alone, yes. right? Like yes. that's, my, that's, right. that's the context that women live in. That's and right. so for a dude to say to me, well, you chose not to follow that part of your plan. So what do you expect? Right? Like, right, right, F you. Right. <laughs> right, right, exactly. Yeah. And, and, you know, again, which that's where this whole self-determination piece screams privilege when it comes to this, because there are things that people have the privilege of not considering as they make those choices. So, you know, for example, during 2020, when we were at the height of election season and so forth, and I live in an area that's extremely divided on where they land in regards to politics and so forth. Yes, I have the choice of whether I want to go to the gym and run on the treadmill, which I despise, or running alone. If I can't coordinate my schedule with some of my friends, it, yes, that's a choice, but one of them is a shitty choice and another one is a shittier choice. And I have to make that choice, right? <laughs> and and trust me, there could be many worse decisions to be made, but that is a consideration that other people without the same identities don't have to think about. And so, you know, again, I think when it comes to the self-determination piece, it is a kind of a reframing that needs to happen once again, is that how do we get to this place where we villainize people that are in a position where they're forced to make a decision between several raggedy ass decisions? None of them are, are ideal. And it seems to be the quote unquote fault of the person making the decision mm -hmm, mm -hmm. rather than examining the context, which created those not so great exactly. choices. Mm -hmm. I'm like, no, I'm not interested in villainizing anybody. And I also want to be clear on how we contribute to a context that doesn't provide more conducive choices. Right. I, I would love that. I would, I would love to be able to run anytime I want without having to think about my own safety. I would love to be able to do that. Mm -hmm. Love to, but that's yeah. not my reality. Right. And so, you know, I think that's where, you know, we get into um, kind of that analogy, Lisa, that I don't know how closely you were watching during summer Olympics uh, past or, or more recently. Um, but I always know, look, we're data people, right? So we're going to notice all the details of the data. When they start with those stats of time and they put a little asterisk beside the gold medalist or the winner of that race, and it says, quote unquote, wind assisted. I'm thinking to myself, that is the best logistical analogy of privilege that I have ever seen. Because it yeah. at least acknowledges the context that they were in that, yeah, you might have won without the wind, but look how much better you did with the wind. Look how much better you did. Look how much better you did with a context that was in your favor. When most of the people that we villainize when it comes to self-determination are in contexts that are not in their favor. Mm -hmm. They're just not. I mean, yeah. I wish they put an asterisk down there every time they had a headwind. Let's do that. Because that's the real life experience of many people who are in oppressed identity groups that they're running against the headwind every single day. And the expectation is for them to do well when they have all these shitty choices to make. I'm like, uh, no, mm -hmm. not willing to villainize them. Just not. Yeah, I do think we've gotten to that place. And I do just think that that is representative of this um, gender and racial hierarchy that is so embedded in US culture, right? That is, and also so historically located. And it's a constant reinforcement of 
some people make bad choices, not that the choices themselves are bad, like, like, like right. separate from right. the person, the choices are bad. And those choices exist because the context right. that's been created has been purposefully mm-hmm. created to, you know, give someone crappy choices that they can then mm-hmm. be blamed for. Right. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Well, and that's why I'm not a fan of highlighting grit or self-determination when it comes to, and, and Lisa, we know how this applies to every single area of life, but oftentimes that grit persona or that self-determination is applied to students, you know, sometimes kids, people that are learners. And it's, well, if you work a bit harder, then you'll be able to X, Y, Z. And I'm thinking, well, what about that kid that doesn't have the expensive math book and you're expecting them to work harder in a context that's not conducive to them having similar outcomes, right? which then feeds into a life where they may have to make some very shitty decisions in order to just live. That's not grit anymore. That is systemic Mm -hmm. exclusion and foolishness. That's what that is. That's not grit. Right. That's no longer grit. What do you think about Sheryl Sandberg's lean in philosophy, right? So for those of you who don't know, Sheryl Sheryl Sandberg is high up in Facebook or Meta or whatever the hell it's called now. And uh, she's a white woman. Um, Yeah. And she wrote a book, lean in and just said that women... (laughs) Um, part of the reason why they're not higher up, they're not in the C-suites, they're not in these vice president positions is because they're not leaning in, right? Um, what, what do you what do you think about that? Because I think about that as big, she's basically saying it's a choice. Like I, Lisa, am not making, I'm making a choice not to lean in. That's why I'm not progressing professionally, right? Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Well, and <laughs> to the to that point, everybody was really hype about that book and her perspective and, you know, being a high powered woman in tech and so forth. And then after that, not only were, you know, critics like me that were just armchair critics of the book came out, Michelle Obama actually responded and said, nah, lean in doesn't work. It doesn't work for a lot of people. It doesn't work for a lot of people who happen to look like me. So, you know, again, it goes back to even amongst us as women that Mm, there's plenty of research now that says that doesn't work. Most of the time it doesn't work and it doesn't work for certain women in certain identity groups. And part of it is because we have to think about who Sheryl Sandberg was when she wrote that damn book. Okay. I would say white women, if you would like to read that book, you go right ahead and help yourself, especially, um, high socioeconomic status white women can read that book and maybe you can get something from it. But as for the rest of us, I might leave it on the shelf. And, you know, similar to Michelle Obama's sentiments was that, again, we're dealing with context. Sheryl Sandberg wrote from a place where she was making high six figures. She had lots of structure in place in order to expand her family Um, Some of the things that she wrote about in that book, I was like, most women I know can't relate to any of that. Um, Rest in peace, her her former husband. Um, But, you know, having that cohesive, quote unquote, nuclear family approach to leaning in only works when you're starting from almost ideal uh, starting point. Um, so, you know, given that when I read the book, it kind of reminds me, I know outspoken, we talked about back in the blocks and, and kind of that analogy. 
I feel like with Sheryl Sandberg, she wrote that book from her blocks, but her blocks were like 50 meters ahead of mine. No, that, that yeah. doesn't work. Yeah. It, it, it just doesn't work. So anyway, I could go on and on about that book, but <laughs> it's, it is so frustrating when, you know, she wrote that book, not acknowledging the majority of her privileges. Now she came back later and wrote other things and did other interviews that literally leaned into understanding her own privileges and how she might have gone back and edited some things in that book. Um, but nah, she, she wrote that book mm. damn near oblivious to the privilege that she carried to tell women to lean in. Like yeah. that's not going to work for a woman that may be a single parent or come from a very impoverished area. And mm-hmm, yeah, mm-hmm. options are, are limited. Viable yeah. options are limited. Yeah. And so, um, I mean, that's obviously in the business context, right? But, you know, Mm -hmm. we can definitely translate this to the endurance uh, sport context. And one area I think that this translation comes quite easily is when we think about choice and eating habits, diet, healthy living, quote unquote, healthy living, um, and the ways in which um, individuals who are heavier or have chronic illness or chronic pain or um, some other issue that is perhaps preventing their engagement in regular exercise and the ways in which the medical industry, friends, family, um, reduce that to their individual choices in terms of eating Mm. habits, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, it gets, it's so reductive. and so I'm wondering what you think about that, like, mm. and how it could be, how it could be useful. I guess I, as a coach, I'm thinking about how could I coach differently, you know, if mm. I reframe choice. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Well, you're, you're bringing up a great point because a, a lot of people may not know. I come from a, uh, several years of, uh, competing in the Miss America organization on the local and state level and all of that. And so weight obviously was a big deal. Um, I won't go into the rabbit hole of the sexism and all the other isms that play in the pageant world. Just go with me, just go with me people. Um, but to your point, that to me was one of the most frustrating pieces of, um, participating. I I mean, I paid for a lot of my education through that program. So thank you very much for those scholarship dollars dollars. Um, but that came at a very, um, hefty price, no pun intended, but a a big price in regards to, um, how one views oneself and how myopic that can be. Um, because, you know, if you're someone who's extremely athletic, but, and this goes for a lot of women of color who never fit on that height weight chart, because it wasn't created for us anyway. Um, those types of things were happening when I was in the pageant world in my, you know, late teens, early twenties, that still happened for me. Even as I started running through black girls run, it definitely was the case for me when I, when still, even now in the triathlon world. Um, so for example, the height and weight charts, and I'll use myself as an example, I have no shame at all. I am five, five in height, but have never met any of the weight requirements ever in the height weight charts, even as a runner, as a marathoner, I came in at a very comfortable and extremely fit 178 when I ran my first marathon, which was my, um, which was my PR. I came in as a extremely fit and strong 175 when I did my first 70.3. None of those numbers 
ever fit on any of those height weight charts, all of them are considered morbidly obese weights based on a very white centric understanding of height and weight. And so once you get to a place where you understand that the ruler that's being used to measure you it was not created for you, right? then that then helps you to start pushing back when it comes to that coach says, oh, make better decisions. Well, I have a friend of mine who I adore right now. She's a medical doctor. She has several uh, certificates in nutrition. She is a vegan and she has never fit on any of those damn height weight charts, but she's done multiple Ironmans. So what does that mean as far as expectations? Oh, you need to come down on weight. Well, who says? Eh, maybe that affects your performance. Maybe it doesn't. You know, and so given that I, I end up having to push back against very white, very male narratives of body weight, height, function, uh, uh, you know, muscle mass, having to push against that because I'm thinking to myself, where's the height weight chart that works for us? Mm-hmm. Maybe let's just throw the whole damn thing out and use something different as a metric or a dashboard right. for uh, fitness and performance. But it has never worked for me, even as someone admittedly was not a high school or college uh, athlete at all. But at my best form, in my best nutrition and my best fitness, still never fit. So just knowing that you may be walking in to work with an athlete that those measurements don't work. And so now it's time for folks as coaches, Lisa, I would challenge what can coaches do to start um, questioning the tools that have been used for coaching for so long that have not fit most people Yeah, um, and finding new tools, I guess. Yeah. And then kind of as an extension of that, right. When you're, um, you don't fit that ruler that was never made for you in the first place, but that's not the question that gets asked, right? The question is, why aren't you, Shauna, eating differently, right? Why aren't you, Shauna, doing ABC? And I think as a coach, then if you start to hear yourself ask the question about individual choices that a person is making, you need to stop yourself and you need to take three steps back and start to think about this context, right? So the context of how we measure health and wellness, um, how we measure sports or athletic engagement, what other contextual factors could be happening in terms of um, socioeconomic status, family stress, illness, you know, a whole bunch of things and really think about you know, what's circulating versus what that individual did or did not choose to do. Um, Because we are always diverting our Mm -hmm. gaze Mm -hmm. away from these um, systems and policies and structures that were built to reinforce a certain way of being in the world. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. And and that's where we go back to the whole wind assisted piece is that if every tool is used and the entire context is built to assist some and to be a headwind for others, then we'll never get to that place where people feel as if they are included in endurance sport that, you know, and we see it lots of different places. One example, Lisa, that's coming up for me is, you know, a friend of mine who, wanted to be an ambassador of a clothing line. And it was the assumption that, oh, we don't need, uh, we, we don't need uh, cycling jerseys that are larger than an XL for women because women that are double XL probably would not be athletes. When that happens to not be true, 
the the majority of women of color that I know are extremely fit, but we have curvaceous, beautiful bodies that want to perform highly. So what happens when you're looking at a clothing line that doesn't accommodate your body because it assumes that you don't exist when you do? Yeah. So, you know, that to me, you know, it's wind assist for everyone else that can mm-hmm. find what they need all the time, but it is headwind for those of us who can't and won't. Right. Um, if people don't see things more inclusively. So it yeah. is so frustrating. So frustrating. Yeah. And we haven't even really touched on some of these larger narratives around diet and it's in a section with capitalism and Ugh. profit and food deserts and poverty and how you actually, mm-hmm. you know, may only be presented with processed food as your option because fresh produce is not available anywhere near you and you do not have the time to take public transportation to go buy some vegetables and farmers markets are you know what's that because there's just nothing like that in your community so um i just yeah so this has been a really great and thought-provoking conversation for me because i come back to choice all the time in the way that we construct it in the us at least as Mm -hmm. being that's the reason why things aren't going well in your life. That's the reason why you're quote unquote unfit. That's the reason why, you know, it's all around Mm. this self-determination. Like we all live in bubbles, you know, separate from um, all of this culture and Mm -hmm. social acceptability and, and such. Yeah. 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 I I feel like we've, we've given a layout of what happens when self-determination expectations go too damn far? Like, that's how I feel about it. Like, you know, not to say, and I'm one that loves to take responsibility for things and make things happen or prevent things that don't need to happen. And I'm also realistic that even a good thing can go too far. Right. So when is someone completely centered as the victim when in fact the context tells the majority of the story? Yeah. Yeah. All right. Well, food for thought, folks. So um, let's move on to our hell yeah, hell nah segment. Hell yeah. Hell no. Nah. So hell yeah. Look, I know y'all. I, go ahead and just write in and tell me to stop talking about Old Navy. Okay. <laughs> I've been talking about Old Navy for months now. For months. Forgive me, but I. <laughs> it, it just struck me, y'all, when I was sitting on my couch, probably not being the the fittest person in the world because I was crunching on my favorite snacks. Um, And as I was watching a commercial, I noticed that Old Navy is literally reimagining the holiday season in a way that is more inclusive, y'all. I'm super excited because, you know, usually what happens is that it is very Christian, Protestant centric, if you will. That's a tongue 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 twister. Um, But it's usually Christian Protestant centered, um, which means that usually it's just, you know, the Christmas tree. uh, It's just red and green, et cetera. And so now uh, their uh, marketing and branding agency from the Martin agency, um, they have themed happy holidays, A-L-L. And I loved it when I saw it because it used lots of different colors, 
Uh, the promotion was was just fantastic. Some of the language around it said, you know, however you jingle, we got your pajamas. You know, it, and I love that because it really helped people to think through what does it mean to not just look at the holidays through one lens, but several. So kudos to the marketing agency and kudos to, uh, once again, Old Navy. I'm sitting in my favorite uh, sweats right now from Old Navy. Um, kudos to y'all for including people from lots of different religious mm-hmm. and non-religious perspectives during the holidays. So kudos to y'all. Yeah, I do want to interject that Eva, it's kind of interesting, right? Because it is inclusive, yes, and certainly kudos. And then even I'm just thinking about naming the December month the holiday season is mm-hmm. also super Christian centric, right? Because That's you, right. Know, you think about right. Judaism, the biggest holidays are in September. And then I think Hindu, uh, Hinduism, just as an example, um, October, uh, you know, and I, I'm not super educated on all the major holidays, but certainly understand they're not all in December. And so right, right. It's, it's just, it's fascinating, right? Because you have this um, cultural overlay around new year and this 12 month calendar. And then the the biggest holidays happen at the end of the year, but the, Mm -hmm. even the year, even how we think about the year, that's right. Like that isn't the same for every cultural tradition either. Right. Not Um, at all. Not at all. Exactly. Exactly. This is very U S I've been trying Lisa to purge my language of saying American, but more so United States uh, because there's North America and South America, obviously. Uh Um, But it is a very U S centric point of view because of just, just the calendar alone. You know, when does the new year start? Well, here, a different day than other places. And so, yeah, right. I, I agree with you. See how many layers it is, y'all? Yeah. We can critique anything. Anything yes, we can critique it. Yeah. So, exactly. um, so this week's Hell Nah is kind of a big one. So we were listening to a piece that introduced the concept of sports washing. Not sure if any of you mm-hmm. have heard of this, but essentially what it is, is countries that have pretty bad human rights um, abuse records using Mm. sport as a means to improve their reputation. So, um, you know, so China, Saudi Arabia, Qatar, um, they have Mm -hmm. been accused of these human rights violations. And yet we have China hosting um, the 2022 Winter Olympics. They've also hosted the Summer Olympics um, in Beijing previously. Qatar has got the Soccer World Cup. And then you have Saudi Arabia that um, has, I think, purchased some UK football teams. Maybe I'd have to double check that, but they are also stage a lot of high profile sporting events. And so they're Mm -hmm. using sport, sport as a human right, (laughs) ironically, um, to um, bolster their reputations while at the same time encroaching upon often in violent and horrific ways people's human rights. So um, there's some, there's information online if you want to look up more about sports washing, washing. And we would just say, obviously, this is a pretty huge hell no. Um, Mm -hmm. Be thoughtful about the kinds of events and teams that you are supporting, like look Mm -hmm. into ownership, right? And see um, how, what are the primary funding sources? I mean, this is particularly true for European soccer um i think because there's a lot mm-hmm. of influence uh there maybe with us but i'm not 100 sure about that but these these big events too right maybe we shouldn't be paying to watch or travel to these locations um because of the 
um, damage that those countries do to communities and individuals. Absolutely. And even when I just did a quick cursory uh, search, and I'm going to definitely read up on this a bit more, Lisa, because this is brand new language for me, Um, but it seems to be popping up. For example, CNN published a story about Ping Shui, uh, Human Rights Watch accuses the IOC of sports washing in the case of a Chinese tennis star. And then also it's popping up in Formula One racing as well. So it's Mm. cutting across a number of different sports. I personally love Formula One racing and had it on my bucket list to actually go to a Formula One race. Well, it's gonna depend on what country it's in now if it's on my bucket list, because now that I'm aware of sports washing, that determines my choices. How about that, Lisa? Determines my choices. (laughs) Yes. Well, just to throw in a little another hell. Yeah. So the Women's Tennis Association, I think, have um, postponed or removed all women's tennis tournaments from China because of what's been happening over there related to the uh, uh, Peng Shui. I think Um, Mm -hmm. that might be wrong. I should look up her name, but has gone missing right after she exposed a coach um, who had sexually mm-hmm. abused her. So that, That's you know, incredible. and we're rolling into the Beijing 2022 uh-huh. Winter Olympics. And I know there's been right. calls to boycott that and to not send teams. So we will see what countries decide to do, I guess. Ooh, okay. I will keep that on my um, my watch list of who goes and who's, who doesn't. Yep, yep. Incredible. Well, look, Lisa, I encourage folks, please continue to send us your hell yes and your hell nas because we know there's a lot of them out there. Um, we try to keep our finger on the pulse of things in regards to sport, but whether it's sport related or not, send it our way and we will uh, pick it apart as we usually do tell you what how we feel about that particular topic and maybe how it applies to endurance sport but definitely some strong ones sports washing that's news to me wow the unfazed podcasts and all things feisty triathlon are grateful to be supported by inside tracker inside tracker cuts through the noise of diet and wellness trends by analyzing your blood dna and lifestyle to provide you a personalized science-backed trackable action plan on how to live, age, and perform better. Inside Tracker is a simpler, cheaper, and more convenient option than traditional blood tests, and their test includes biomarkers that are key to performance that you don't get from the traditional option. What we love about them? They don't just give you data, they provide you with nutrition and lifestyle tips to take action. Inside Tracker is offering 25% off their entire store to the Feisty Triathlon community. To claim your offer, go to insidetracker.com slash feisty triathlon. Unfazed, a podcast produced by Live Feisty Media and supported by the Outspoken Women in Triathlon Summit. Edited and produced by the fabulous Lindsay Glassford. Email us at info at unfazedpodcast.com and find us on social at try to defy, at Dr. Gold Speaks, or at Outspoken Women in Tri. I'm Lisa. I'm Shauna. Thanks for listening. Stay unfazed, folks. See you next time. <laughs>